I'll deliver a baby and the next day I'll do the postpartum and mom's like, oh, Teresa started. I'm like, you know Teresa? <laughs> she, she, yeah, she's got a meal train going for us. <laughs> so that's just like, a, a, I'm like, oh, you're in good hands. Teresa's got gotcha. <laughs> Like the size of a dinner plate is how what we describe it as. And uh, that detaches from your uterus. And, you know, it was that's where the, all that blood flow, that uh, the uh, exchange of blood, uh, nutrients and oxygen, not blood, excuse me, between mom and baby happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so when that sheds, it leaves that big gaping wound there, you know, about the size yeah. of a dinner plate. And so that's going to continue to bleed until all those, until your uterus involutes and all those capillaries shut down and mm-hmm. stop bleeding. And that takes time. Hello and welcome back to Elevate Ordinary. I'm your host, John Mark Grodi. I'm Tracy Grodi. And we're back with another extraordinary conversation about the ordinary pursuit of truth, goodness, and beauty. Joined today by our good friend, Lisa Baldwin. Hi. We'll, we'll introduce her in a moment. Today we're going to be talking about, well, lots of stuff uh, connected to babies and pregnancy, but particularly the postpartum period after the baby, which we're getting ready for pretty soon here. Um, but I want to remind you before we get into that, as always, that uh, if you like the show, what we're doing here, please check out elevateordinary.com for archives of the show and information about how you can support it. Uh, and also uh, download the Awaken app, which is the best way to get access to this show and other shows on Awaken uh, at theawakenapp.io. So Teresa, tell us, tell them, tell me, what are we doing here today? <laughs> I'm so excited to have this episode. This is what I've been wanting to do for Pretty much since we started an Elevate Postpartum episode. And when I did this, I dreamed that Lisa would be joining us. So Lisa is technically now my midwife. <laughs> um, but we met before. And so I just want to give a disclaimer. Disclaimer: like None of this is medical advice. Lisa is not giving you medical advice to supplant your OB. Um, neither am I. And so just take this as no. a... No, 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 he's not. <laughs> So just take just this as listen. a friendly coffee chat. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, so Lisa Baldwin, we first met at a homeschooling co-op. Mm-hmm. We were talking a little bit before we started this. And I remember seeing you and your husband and being like, oh, she's pregnant too. And like, she's, look at this young couple. I'm going to meet them and we'll have some friends. <laughs> no. And then we went over there. We were chatting and talking. And, and I was like, oh, they're so cool. <laughs> Not that you're cool. <laughs> but then we, they, you guys went to give a talk. And she were like, and this is baby 14. And I'm like looking at your face. And I'm like, how do I, like, how does this woman <laughs> have 14 children? So we went on to have, like, share an almost identical pregnancy afterwards, except for you had twins. Right. So. Right. <laughs> I had just had one. Um, so Lisa is now a um, a midwife and a wonderful Catholic. And can you tell us a little bit about um, just yourself, something you're excited about now? No, I'm excited about. project that you're working on. <laughs> Birth and babies. <laughs> um, well, like Teresa said, um, I'm a mom of 16 kids. We homeschool those kiddos. Um, I have two grandbabies. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm a midwife. I began an apprenticeship when I was pregnant with my 14th when Teresa and I met. Oh, really? I yeah, didn't that. that's when I started my apprenticeship. Um, and I finished that up in November of 2020. 
So, yeah, wonderful. Were you from, from this area, Lisa? Um, we're from a little further south, near the Defiance area, west, southwest, oh, okay. um, from the Defiance area. Um, we moved here when my husband went to college, cool. right out of high school. Awesome. That's how you have 16 kids. You get married when you're 19 years old. <laughs> That's right. And your last was twins, so you didn't have any other twin pregnancies. No, no did you? other twins. Uh, my goodness. Yeah. Way to go. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't think I've got enough fertility years left in <laughs> left in my life to get to. I, th- to I thought that a lot along the way yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> so I really I wanted to talk about the beauty of the postpartum period. Um, We put out there on social media um, like questions that uh, women had wanted us to answer about doing postpartum as a couple Um, and just the postpartum period in general, like how how to make it a peaceful and recuperative time. And we got a deluge of questions. Like I've never seen our social media get so many hits, (laughs) honestly. So, um, in going over the questions and kind of reflecting on them, um, this episode is meant to be an elevation of the postpartum period, like how um, we can ask what the body expects, you know, theology of the body, what the body expects, what it's it's created in an order. Um, but this isn't going to be like a normalizing anything and everything that could possibly happen in the postpartum period or like a deluge of information or you should do this with your baby you should do this with your body like i will share the things that i do um to kind of make like to take care of myself and to make sure um that we are eventually getting towards the point where i can have a decent amount of days you know maybe like 40 days at least two weeks but then like maybe 40 days where i just don't you know, do anything. (laughs) I don't have expectations for myself, especially physical expectations. So we will get into some of the, some of the practical things. Um, but I did just want to say that like, um, like, like we're going to keep it focused on the ideal, right? The the elevation. When we say that we like elevate postpartum, you know, or whatever topic that we're on in a particular time, we talked about this beforehand that, you know, we use virtue as kind of the lens on this show and we talk a lot about prudence because prudence always uh, has a straddle the ideal you know the, the 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 reality we're trying to apply ourselves to with the reality of where we are and what's actually happening to us and you have to have both of those because you can have people err in either direction they they kind of get focused on some ideal of, of what they the way they expect things to turn out and lose the practical or they can kind of despair in the practical and, and not be moving forward. And so um, virtue is always about taking what God is is sending to you, allowing to happen to you, you know, and that's the nature of your body, the nature of postpartum period, the nature of just the family life, the, the, what you're experiencing. But then it's look, it's seeing that as an opportunity. You know, so what's, what's God speaking to us through this time? What's the reality that we may or may not uh, have embraced or, or taking, taken seriously here? How can we really embrace it and receive it? And that's true for, um, in your, you know, the, the woman experiencing it, but also the people around her. They need to grapple with this reality to try to make it, uh, to try to um, be available to what God's doing in that situation. Yeah, and I, it's it's funny because I actually see my life and our marriage mm-hmm. in terms of like baby births and then postpartum periods of growth. So like every postpartum period I've had, even the really, really bad ones, um, have led me to 
like a further growth in a certain area or like a different goal um, in, a, in a different direction or really a deepening of intimacy between the two of us. Right. Um, like when I when I like look at our our healing, even like our sexual healing and like our sexual relationship, a lot of times it's based on like which baby we've just had. <laughs> so it is like um, it, it, it's kind of how I keep my mental calendar of my marriage and my life and Lisa's nodding over here. Um, So yeah, I kind of just wanted to go through some of my postpartum periods Mm -hmm. um, and some of your postpartum periods and um, I'll kind of rapid fire go through my just five. (laughs) Just just so you guys have an idea of where I am. And and this is like, as I was going through the questions, this is like a really touchy subject as is parenting, as is, you know, most of, of these things. Um, uh oh my pregnant brain is gonna do this. So Well you were gonna go yeah. through some of yours first, you know, or I don't remember. If I remember what I was gonna say there. But yeah, I'll go through some of my yeah. my periods or my um babies. So my first baby was one of those textbook perfect induction C sections. You know, where they're like, The baby's too big, we're gonna induce you. So then they induce you and then they're like this is your last chance to have some kind of medication. Would you like some medication? And you're like, yeah, give me the stuff that's not the epidural because I really want to do it natural, you know? And then like the the medication doesn't do as much as you want. And then they're like, okay, this is your last chance for an epidural. You're really dilated. This is your last chance, you know? And then it's like, (laughs) like it just kind of progresses into this, like you're pushing and pushing and pushing and the baby's not coming out. And the doctor says you can keep pushing or I'll give you a C-section. You're like, give me the C-section. And so we had a (laughs) C-section, which I actually kind of think like now thinking about the postpartum period, that was a blessing for me being type A because I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. Like I was on morphine for several days afterwards, you know, and then I come home and it's the worst pain I've ever experienced. So all I want to do is sit in a chair, you know? Um, so it was actually kind of, kind of leisurely. Um, I see now that I did develop some postpartum symptoms. Like I was particular, like the, uh, the postpartum symptom where you like envision violent things occurring. Mm-hmm. Like I just thought the postpartum depression symptom. Yeah. I mean, they call it different things now. Like oh. people are like, it's postpartum anxiety. It's postpartum depression. It's postpartum, whatever. It's a big spectrum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, like, I feel like it all comes from the same place of almost like processing things too fast. Like whether it be physiologically processing mm-hmm. things too fast, or if you're just like dwelling on this horrible experience that just occurred to you because it didn't go the way you wanted it to do. Or people are coming into your life and you don't want, like, like there's a lot of stuff that happens in that time. And I think that it all kind of affects the way our body ends up manifesting its overall health or whether it can heal or whatnot. Right. So. And when you talk about the induction, mm-hmm. um, which definitely have their place yeah. in C-section, that definitely has their place, mm-hmm. um, that does interrupt that cascade of hormones that yeah. happen. Um, and then that postpartum period will play out differently because of that that cascade of hormones has been interrupted and not allowed to unfold the way um, it would in a typical situation. Yeah. And that's like, I think that's one of my, my ultimate reasons as to why I want to protect my postpartum period is that recognizing like, kind of like when you study NFP and you realize like, oh, there's not just my hormones, there's like pheromones and interactions between other people and interactions between my environment as to whether or not my hormones are going to cue. 
Um, it's similar with the baby where like, like just even just learning about like delaying cord clamping or like not interrupting a mother, you know, during labor or whatever can interrupt like the flow of hormones and even though like the flow of hormones with the baby and the flow of hormones that allow the placenta to not violently detach from the body, you know, like all these things that kind of occur because your body is ordered and it expects something. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, um, so then the second baby, I was like, we're doing this all natural. You know, I wanted to have a VBAC. We were like on the timeline for a VBAC and it, it was actually really hard to find a, v, a VBAC doctor, even in 2013. Okay. What does VBAC mean for all the Oh, sorry. Like a <laughs> vaginal birth after cesarean. So attempting another natural birth after welcome, you've had guys. a cesarean. Yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff here. So if you're squeamish, just... You probably should just listen. Anyway, <laughs> our producer is like, Ethan's. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and I did, I had a natural delivery, um, but there was a lot of intervention by the nurses during the pushing. And I ended up like having a horrendous, like horror movie tear, like, you were there, like blood everywhere, like on the walls and the doctor. Oh I mean, like, and they're like, she's a V back, and they're like, everything's normal. This is totally normal. Just keep pushing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know. So they actually gave me the epidural and ended up knocking me out because I was so freaked out by what was occurring after I had the baby. So I did have my natural birth. <laughs> but then afterwards, I went into surgery and was basically on tons of antibiotics for like six weeks mm -hmm. and um i ended up developing postpartum depression so bad to the point where like i thought i was dying at every turn you know like i even had a tooth removed because i was clenching my jaw so bad that like you couldn't like i kept going to dentists and they're like i guess that there's an abscess that we're not seeing and specialists and things and eventually they took my tooth out um I learned later from a napro doctor, um, natural progesterone, natural procreation. I don't know what, what it stands for. Something like that. Yeah. Um, but they're <laughs> they're trained by the Pope John the Sixth, Pope Paul the Sixth Paul, Institute. Paul the Sixth Institute, yeah. <laughs> for reproductive technology. Um, that one of his first signs he tells women when they're in the postpartum period is if you have shoulder clenching, jaw clenching, to call because you need a progesterone supplement, or at least that's mm -hmm. what he prescribes for it. Um so I, I actually wrote a letter to all the dentists, a very nice letter, just saying, like, if you have a new mom oh, coming that's in amazing, and she's screaming Teresa. that her jaw that's hurts, great. You know, that you did that. Um, yeah, and then I gave them, like, Dr. Chris Stroud, who's another doctor in our area's um, contact information. Just be like, you can talk to this doctor about it. Um, yeah, that was, I mean, that was a horrific. I mean, I was so much postpartum anger, so much fear. Like, I was terrified to put the baby down because I thought she would die. You know, terrified to sleep because I thought she would die. Mm -hmm. um, and that really carried yeah, on. Stressful living situation at that point, too. Yeah. We made a lot living of changes far away from one. family. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then the third one would have gone better, I think. But um, we bought a house the day we came home from the hospital. And we weren't actually even looking for a house or planning or anything. And so that became a really stressful in, but that's that's really typical, you know? and I, I do tell I do tell um, families that that you know this is the time of your life when those things happen, you know, it's it seems unfair, yeah. but that's when you're changing jobs and yeah. buying houses and having babies. Yeah. So you know, there's uh, 
to accept the reality of that and yeah. yeah. Well, it forces you to like to, to talk and, and to be more proactive about. Okay, well, like we, we have to be really working as a team to to make sure this postpartum period and the healing that occurs it's supposed to occur. Yeah. Right. You know? yeah. 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 Work on your community. Ask for all the help. You know, mm-hmm. to get you moved. Yeah. Of, and then when you're talking about changing yeah. jobs and moving, a lot of times that's away from community that you're familiar with. Yeah. So yeah. we're very blessed to have the parish communities that a lot of times we can plug right into. Yeah. 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 Um, actually, so after the third baby, um, like I was thinking I was allergic to things all the time because I didn't know what a panic attack felt like. Mm -hmm. So I just thought I was like having anaphylaxis all the time. I actually remember being at the YMCA and like having them call the, the emergency squad. And my, my best friend comes in and she's like walking with her kids through the lobby because I was like on the floor of the lobby and she's like, Hey, (laughs) where are your kids? (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, I'll find him. <laughs> so she watched the kids until the rescue squad came and told me basically like nothing's wrong with you. <laughs> but like it was really freeing the day that um, the day that I realized I was thinking about a thing that I thought I was allergic to and started having that mm. anaphylactic reaction. And then once I realized that it was all in my head, I was like, oh, my gosh. What a relief. Like now I'm going to get blood work and I'll find a counselor and I'll sit on the phone with counseling sessions for, you know what I mean? Like there was a plan that could happen. Right. Right. And then with the next baby, I was like, I am going to take care of myself um, and really like be careful in those first few days or those the first weeks or whatever. And we're going to have a meal train set up and we're going to take all the help that we can get. And we started planning the entire pregnancy to prepare for the postpartum period and it was so peaceful and so beautiful and I recovered really well and I had no postpartum depression whatsoever similar with my fifth baby born at home you know and just really caring for that time so that's this is my journey of how I messed up a lot of times but just kept plugging along trying to figure out what I did wrong. Right. Well, experience is the best teacher. Yeah. And unfortunately, in our culture, we don't have a whole lot of discussion about postpartum. Mm-hmm. So right. yeah. we go into um, becoming pregnant and having a baby with very little information, too. Good yeah. information. And then postpartum, even less. So yeah. just the most shake of your us... baby video they make you watch before you leave, <laughs> which is really helpful, actually. Don't shake your baby video. No, don't. Yeah, don't. <laughs> it's the don't shake your baby video. Right. Unless you're doing that happiest baby on the block thing, then you jiggle your baby. Right. <laughs> yeah, but I actually remember at my baby shower, um, there were like some great aunts there, some like aunts removed or something like that that my mom was talking about. And they were talking about all the horrible things that they thought when they had babies. And that was like my first introduction to it. Where they were like, oh, I thought about pouring hot tea on my baby's head because it was crying. And they were all like, ah! I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh, the window was open across the room and I thought about throwing my baby out the window. And they're all like, ha ah. And you're like, so that when when like you did get frustrated, like when I did get frustrated with the baby, I was like, okay, this is normal. These like, I mean, these thoughts aren't right, but at least like I just felt like I could put the baby down and call my mom and not be terrified of myself, you know, and just say, like, these women got through this. <laughs> 
like I just need to think rationally in this situation, you know, but if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have had anything. I never had that. Nobody yeah. ever said anything like that to me. And I probably would have been like, you thought she was crazy. I, I but <laughs> so when I did inevitably have those thoughts, those kinds of, you know, I remember thinking my third baby that I wanted to put him in the oven because he yeah. was like a little butterball. It made perfect sense. Um, <laughs> And then I scared myself, you know, yeah. I thought, oh my goodness, what is wrong with me? I don't want to do that to my baby, yeah. but oh, he's like a little butterball. Um, and it was a long time before another mom admitted to me that she had similar thoughts. And I thought, wait a second, this yeah. is, this is, this happens. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the thought you're going to, you put the baby down in a room and you're like, I know a car is going to crash into that room yep. and hit the baby. Or like you're on the stroller and you're like, I know the stroller is going to like fly out of my hands and go in front of a car. And you're, you're envisioning like really violent things. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that that had anything to do with like postpartum. I just thought it was like your instincts are like kind of crazy. When I went about and I did get blood work, I had like elevated copper and low zinc, which apparently happens in the postpartum period mm -hmm. sometimes. Okay. And like the symptoms of elevated copper are like OCD and violent thoughts and suicidal thoughts and like all the things that you think of about the postpartum period. And all I had to do, and this is not medical advice, this is what I did, was I took zinc for two months. And that and helped. That went, it just went away. Well, the interesting thing too, though, is that um, even if there's not an a imbalance or, or um, anything like that, that we're organizing all these new thoughts in our mm -hmm. head, all mm -hmm. these new concerns all of a sudden come up, you know, and we're trying to integrate all of that into the reality of the day to day. And it's a lot yeah. and it can get very jumbled. And um, so that that's always been my, my personal thought on where that yeah. those things come from. Yeah. It's just a lot to integrate right then. And, and uh, you know, when you get overstimulated and mm -hmm. you're just like, you can start shutting down, you know, because you're trying to integrate all of the noise yeah. and, and everything that's going on that happens in the quiet of nursing in the middle of the night that, mm -hmm. that you just start trying to integrate all of these thoughts. Yeah. And, uh, I think that sometimes they, yeah. they come out like that. It's probably, maybe you have some thoughts on this again, so we, we hear all the things that or some of the things that can happen and it's a difficult period, this postpartum period. Um, there's all sorts of reasons why it's really hard for moms and dads and the people around them to really give that uh, that period the care that it should have. Mm -hmm. You know, I think part of it might just be our mindset about about life and the busyness of life and being productive. You know, but do you, do you often see that with people? It's, it's so I guess hard like what is the postpartum period first? Yeah, like what is physiologically happening mm -hmm. that would cause you to need recovery or space or you know whatever right and then well I, it, i'm the worst yeah <laughs> i'm the worst well i mean physically you know there's there are a lot of levels to this but physically your body is healing from however whatever kind of birth you had even if it was the you know straightforward vaginal delivery no medication your body is healing from from that mm -hmm. then your body is also at the same time making milk to feed that baby. Mm -hmm. So you have this huge hormonal shift from non-pregnant, I mean, excuse me, from pregnant to non-pregnant to lactating. Yeah. Um, and then trying to figure that out when you're, if you've never done it before yeah. or been around that before. Um, and then um, lack of sleep yeah. because mm -hmm. you are, that baby needs to eat every two yeah. to three hours, even during the night. I so think your nighttime brain is crazy. 
Yeah. Like I really do. I think that there's something physiologically different about nighttime brain and that you're in like real danger when you're up and thinking you know, in the middle of the, the night. The most helpful thing that ever occurred to me in the middle of the night nursing, and I don't remember which baby this was. <laughs> yeah, sorry. But um, being awake in the middle of the night um, and you know, when I wake up, my brain turns on automatically and it's just going. So I'm yeah. not one of those people that can fall back asleep after I get up and use the bathroom or let the dog out or check on a kid or whatever. So I'm, I'm awake for a while. Yeah. Um, and I would just like stew in my own juices sometimes. Yeah. Like I really want to go back to sleep and look at him. He's sleeping and, and you know, and, yeah. and, uh, but I would have to sit there and nurse the baby. And so I would try to turn to prayer, you know, very distracted prayer because yeah. those thoughts keep coming in and, um, but finally I had this, like this realization, this little consolation that during the day when I'm up with my children and I have a new baby, I'm constantly torn of what my priority is. Like this one needs me to save them from the countertop. We need dinner in an hour. This one needs their bottom wiped. And this kid needs to be taken to this practice. But in that middle of the night, that quiet middle of the night and everybody else is sleeping, there is no question of what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't have those that, mm. that conflict of like, nobody needs me except this baby. There's mm. no question that this is my priority right now. Yeah. That gave me a lot of comfort. Yeah. Like wholeness of vision or presence. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Even if it was fleeting, it did give me comfort. Yeah. And that's, I, we just, we had, did an episode on leisure just recently. And that is like the basis of leisure, which is, I'm not the philosopher. Well, this openness oh, to reality, yeah. right? Well, just being like present the, to what's really there. Yeah, being present mm-hmm. when you want to be distracted in many ways. So mm-hmm. a lot of times our Sabbath, when we're called to leisure, like is really just like a, a call to like try to be present to the thing you're supposed to be present in. Try to receive the good gifts that God is giving you mm-hmm. and that family gives you. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd love to hear more of your your journey on all this lisa i mean how how have these experiences been been for you and how did that sort of lead up to now becoming a midwife and all that um so my my first was i'm not going to go through all of them yeah, you don't sure. have that kind of time <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but my first was a hospital delivery typical i mean it wasn't terrible but it wasn't great it wasn't what i wanted even at 19 i knew that i wanted more so when I, we became pregnant with our second I knew that I was I was seeking out different care, and that's when I chose to, chose to have a home birth. Um, but my postpartum period, my first was um, a lot of, well, I, from from family, I didn't do it this way, and you turned out fine, and you know, so and so does it this way, and so and, and a lot of like really conflicting um, information. And I ended up going to a LLH league meeting, which is a breastfeeding support group, and I walked in there, and there were women; they had four kids. Two kids, six, ten. One woman had ten kids. I believe the leader at the time had twelve kids, and some of the kids were barefoot. It was the middle of the winter, and I mean, there was just <laughs> yeah. like all these kids. And I was like, "Oh, I'm home." <laughs> I was like this huge sigh of relief, and um, they talked about their experience, especially with nighttime nursing and that kind of thing, and how um, they were just really embracing motherhood. And I thought, oh, "This, this is what I want. This yeah. is what I need." And I became really good friends with one of the Lilleche League leaders. Um, she's godparent to a godmother to several of my children and uh, just um, having that kind of mentor she was a little bit older than me and had more children than me that was that was like that so my first six weeks with my first was rough went to that meeting and just really mm-hmm. realized that I have 
you know, God has given me what I need to parent this this baby, and I, I have those tools, and they might look different than my mom's mm-hmm. and my grandma's or, you know, my mother-in-law, um, even my friend here. It might look different than that, but I do have it. And uh, so it was a, a quite a journey of discovery of what those tools were and how, how to use them. Um, then I became pregnant with my second very shortly after that. And um, we had a home birth with her. And uh, by that time, I kind of had my head on a little straighter about, mm-hmm. you know, how to take care of myself and that I had more confidence that, that, I, that I knew how to do that. Um, but it was a stressful time in our lives. Yeah. My husband was in school and he was working full time mm-hmm. and uh, we had one vehicle. Oh, that was new. like our second baby. <laughs> yeah, we were in a new place, so it was very, very stressful. Um, and interestingly enough, it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but the more children I've had, um, the postpartum period has become a little easier because we have more hands to help out. Mm-hmm. I mean, so like with my twins, postpartum was really, really rough because I was not getting any sleep. Mm. You would think being babies 15 and 16, I would be like, oh, this is a piece of cake. I can handle two babies. But because they were babies 15 and 16, I had done things a certain way all those years. And all of a sudden that was kind of turned on its head. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a very different experience. So but we had so much help from our community um, starting mm-hmm. when I was about, I don't know, 32 weeks pregnant. I was on some modified bed rest because we were trying to keep them in until at least 38 weeks. And um, I didn't want the burden to fall on my children to cook all the meals and clean yeah. all the floors and take care of everything. Um, and so our community really stepped up and we had a meal every two to three days. Somebody oh, would bring wow. a meal. People would randomly drop breakfast off on the front porch, you know, and so that that burden was lifted from my, my children somewhat, and my husband. I mean, he was doing a lot, and uh, it was just really nice to have that support. And that continued until they were about three months old. I don't think I cooked a meal oh, that's until they were three months old. Yeah, oh, so God. I know not everybody has that, mm. but that was my well, experience. You know, it's interesting, because I think even, even we who are used to more of that, because we're trying to seek it out, we're trying to build it, even for us, when we hear that, there's a part of us there's a voice that we've absorbed from the culture, which is kind of like, wow, I mean, like people are really having to step it up to take care of you, you know, in the midst of all of this. And again, it shows the the goofy priorities of our of our society, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Like we we even we who have embraced family life, we see the, the the hassle, the postpartum period, all the all the stuff around that as sort of a a necessary but. Um, kind of get grit your teeth and get through just it. Just get period. through it, rather than no. Th- th- this is this is like the high point here. This is bringing new life in the world. Mm-hmm. This is where we yeah we pull out, out all the stops. Husbands, kids, community. We pull out all the stops here because this is this is new life. Right. Like, this is what all this stuff is for. This is what society is for. Is about people, and so it's it takes us some retraining and a lot of you know trial and error in our own experiences mm-hmm. of like wow, my priorities are all goofed up because this is what we're working towards. This is where we come together to, to make this happen and, and for the good of the baby and, and to take care of the mother. Right. Uh, but what a wonderful yeah. thing we're teaching our children by accepting yeah. that yeah. kind of support from our community. Yeah. And then when we're able to and we're in a position to offer that ourselves. And I know, Teresa, you are fantastic. I mean, we I, I'll deliver a baby and the next day I'll do the postpartum and mom's like, oh, Teresa started. I'm like, you know, Teresa, she, she, yeah, she's got a meal train going for us. So that's just like, a, a, I'm like, oh, you're in good hands. Teresa's got gotcha. you. Well, it's such a great ministry, both because it's a, it's a great thing for the mom and the family, but also because like we talk a lot, a lot about on this show and how 
I mean, to give another person this very physical way of, of doing service. I mean, sometimes our service these days is so sterile and artificial, like, oh yeah, bring a can of soup and put it in this cardboard mm -hmm. box and we'll go give it to some people that you'll never see or know or care about. Mm -hmm. Rather than, no, I made this food. Like our family made this food that we put together we, 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 and we're bringing it to somebody. I mean, you give somebody else a great gift to allow them mm -hmm. to help you out. Right, yeah. for sure. Yeah, And a lot of times, even when I'm making a meal for someone, especially somebody who's just had a new baby, I'm thinking to myself, like, as I'm cooking, like, I really want this to nourish her. Like, so what can I do to, like, have this be a really nourishing meal? Because, I mean, it's, it's super easy to, like, do a pasta or something like that. And I have done pasta. But then it's just, like, there's part of me that's like, oh, but I want to bring her some, like, broth. <laughs> like, some broth soup, you know. Just something that's going to be warm and cozy and, you know. Um, so there is, like, there's that added level of, like, mm -hmm. I'm nourishing this person. Right. You know, and I remember Frances Russell brought me. My first meal when I had David at home, she was there like that evening. And I remember she saw like French fries in a picture I sent her of the baby. She was like, how did she get French fries? She shouldn't be eating that. She was like mad. But she brought me this um, like homemade, they're like regenerative farmers, so everything comes off their property, you know. Um, so it was like homemade chicken noodle soup and it was the most delicious Um nourishing I like I almost cried every time I was eating it because I, I knew yeah. it was really like taking care of my body <laughs> um, and I knew she intended sorry I knew she intended that um and like it was just it's just such a beautiful deepening of a relationship and a lot of times we find that like women will finally accept meal trains even if they've like denied them in the past which is everybody's business that's what they <laughs> that's what they want to do but when they'll accept them um they'll actually start to become more active in the community. In, yes. Um, because I don't think until we're served in that way, we really realize like what we were missing. Um, and then community becomes just such a, a, a much bigger priority. Um, in Steubenville, we had this like multi-generational moms group when we were living there. I had one baby there, Lucy, and everybody just got four 14 days or something like that of meals mm. or like seven days, something like that. Like they had it set up perfectly so that like somebody would ask you a series of questions that I just actually still copy and paste to every mom that I give them to. Um, and I remember getting that and just feeling like, yeah, free meals. But as they were all coming in, like on stressful days, on days where it was just the thing that I absolutely needed that day was for someone else to like come into my space and bring me food and take care of me. And then just being like, this is invaluable. Right. Like we need this when we, whenever we move somewhere, like my priority needs to be starting a mom's group so that we have meals for our next baby. Um, and it has kind of turned out like that now, like the first baby didn't get meals because we were all four of us who started the mom's group were all pregnant and due the same month, mm -hmm. uh, including Alina, De La Torre. we all had girls, all started with C names, <laughs> all born the same month, but like, um, after that, you know, the, the group just really grew and everybody was kind of getting what they needed, you know? Yeah. I always say, if you're going to take a, um, a new mom, a meal before you go to ask her, do you want me to drop it off or do you want me to visit, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, and just accept whatever that answer is. Cause sometimes it's like, oh, just drop it off. You don't want to come in here. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it's, yes, please sit down and talk yeah. with me and hold my baby and, yeah. you know, yeah. Let's Let's keep digging down there. So I mean, this is these meals. We've talked a little bit about um, our experiences, right? And and obviously there's a there's a difference between 
how it is initially and then you learn a lot over time. And so there's a, there's a maybe a big difference between the postpartum as we first experience and what happens now. But so what do moms need? Like what, if we're, if we're now start trying to turn and focus a bit more on the ideal, you know, that the mom should be thinking about, that the dads should be setting their sights on, like what, what do moms really need? What, sh- what ought they be getting in the postpartum period? You know, that's um, yeah. very individualized because mm-hmm. some moms would be just really happy to be able to stay in bed for a week, mm-hmm. in the bedroom for another mm-hmm. week, and then yeah, kind of around the bedroom for another week. Mm-hmm. Some moms, that might drive them crazy. So, yeah. you know, we need to be really careful not to say this is you need to do this, mm-hmm. this, this, and this because mm-hmm. we are so also individual that, you know, one mom might need to might need to walk Target at one week postpartum just to be yeah. out. I shudder at the thought for myself. Yeah. But <laughs> even as like a hundred percent extrovert, yeah, I think like I'm like I'm not even going to the pediatrician visit. Right. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm the same way. But you know, we have to remember that some yeah. moms that that might be what they need to yeah. help keep their sanity during that time. Um, definitely nourishing food. You know, definitely somebody to to ask them. What do you need? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. what what specifically can I do for you and and uh, to meet that need without any kind of judgment? Well, you shouldn't be doing that. I'm not going to. You know, we can't we can't do that. Um, but I think that that question, the answer to that question, doesn't lie in the postpartum period. That's mm. like beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we spend a lot of time preparing for pregnancy. We spend a lot of time preparing for delivery. We spend very little time preparing mm-hmm. for postpartum. So. Um, you know, all of those things that you talked about that you had questions on social media about mm-hmm. when you when you kind of polled your audience. Yeah. Um, and it was stuff you didn't want to get into. Yeah. Um, those questions, it's good to have resources to find mm-hmm. answers to those questions. Um, so if you're concerned that you're going to be dealing with postpartum depression, if your mom was on such and such medication and you think mm-hmm. that that might be helpful to you or whatever, pregnancy is the time. To, yeah. to gather those resources, yeah. if you you know are going to have trouble breastfeeding, um, that's that's also the time to gather who's going to who's going to help with meals, um, you know, childcare. If you need to have a couple of hours in the afternoon for your kids to mm-hmm. go out, who can do that? Who can take your kids safely for a couple of hours? The yeah. postpartum period, we're not. I don't want to say we're not thinking clearly. I'm not trying to say that women are crazy postpartum, but I will. I'll say that. <laughs> we are not. Me, but when you're in the midst of, of a difficult time, it's, it's often the, the hardest time to think clearly about right. when you're in the middle of it. Right. Yeah. And it's a lot to ask dad too mm-hmm. to try to try to take that on or answer those questions during that time because dads are going through sleepless nights as well, concern yeah. for, you know, different financial concerns, concern for their their wives and their children and mm-hmm. um, work. If I miss this much work, you know, how are we going to, so they have their own set of concerns and it's kind of an unfair burden to put on them to come up with the answers in the middle of it. So I think that postpartum is something that we should be talking about in pregnancy. Yeah. Like I I remember adding gradually to my birth plans, um, the different names and numbers of people I wanted to call should situations arise. Mm -hmm. So not just like your priest, (laughs) if you're going to die and need to baptize, maybe baptize or something like that, but like adding a pediatric dentist that does lip and tongue ties, Mm because that was something we had an issue with or adding which lactation consultant I was going to call or adding a postpartum doula's name, which a postpartum doula is somebody who kind of comes in almost like a mom or a grandma um, a lot of times they have like background in nursing and stuff like that. So they come into your house, maybe change your clothes, do some laundry, 
hold the baby while you shower and give you advice on nursing and stuff like that. Um, you know, just like adding those things so that I didn't have to think about those numbers. I didn't have to think right. about who was going to do it. Um, and I could even if I needed just be like, here, you call this person and set something up or even checking in with people who during pregnancy say, oh, I'd love to help. Let me know what I can do. Like during pregnancy, writing right. their name down mm -hmm. and their contact information. So you can just be like, can you call this person or can you text this person? See if they can take the kids or if they can help out in this way or pick up our milk share, mm. which is something we, we do um, get on the schedule. Um, yeah. So like thinking it, we, we spend a lot of time during the pregnancy thinking about the postpartum period now because it's just so valuable. Right. I don't think very many people do. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a, you know, yeah. we talk a lot. I mean, at least we're to the point now where we're talking about birth plans, where that's mm -hmm. even even a yeah. thing. But, you know, we need to keep moving that forward and talk yeah. about postpartum plans. Yeah. Sure. I'm, I'm hoping that this will help. Yeah. Um, well, both because both you talked about how, um, I mean, the, the, you mentioned the word normalization earlier. Again, we, I think it, it reflects a lot in our culture on how we, when the culture does talk about some of this more nitty gritty aspects of family life at all, it's still, it's sort of sort of sterilized and careful and clean and, and tidy. It's just showing kind of like it shows up in the movies, like just the real, but not all of the, the messiness of it. And the problem is that if you've never experienced that, mm -hmm. then again, you, you don't know, am I, am I crazy for having these mm -hmm. thoughts or for feeling like I need help in this area? And like, we need to put the, those stories out there because it's like, you know, you need to, all this stuff is normal and you should be asking for help. You should be reaching out. And it's not normal to have multi-generational living anymore mm -hmm. or multi-generational sharing. You know, a lot of times people, even like Catholics who are really, really well catechized about sex and have chosen, you know, to follow the church's teaching and use NFP and whatever, like you get into marriage and you're still like, like, oh, I, I don't, do other people have abstinence periods this long? Do other people struggle with these things? And there's no, there's nothing. And that was supposed to be your multi-generational living. You know, right. now we only think about sex with like 20 year old people who are celebrities or whatever. And there's not like we're not thinking about grandma and grandpa's abstinence periods or like how they did avoided children. You know, we're not thinking about our parents because that's gross because we've been told that that's gross. You know what I mean? Like right. or like it's just we're, we're missing this multi-generational the, the passing, passing on of the domestic church, yeah. you know? Um, and so, yeah, I think there is some, I, even though I hate, I like, it's like a trigger word for me, the word normalization of something, <laughs> but it, it does like it, we do need to share our crazy stories because like that woman in the middle of the night, who's going crazy can at least say like somebody else has been here, right? you know? Um, shoot. And we're, we're doing that for each other in the community <laughs> yeah. that you're working so hard yeah. to build and you're doing a beautiful job of it. And we're showing that to our children. My kids will say, if it's been a couple months, we're like, we haven't taken anybody a meal in a while. And I'm so happy when yeah. we do that. I'm like, oh yeah, that yeah. is what we do. You're right. You know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're showing them that we are passing that on to them. And, um, and when you off, when you offer that help or you give that help to somebody, like you said, then they're more apt to do that yeah. themselves yeah or even like yeah just begin accepting help or just realize that it really is a necessity to have a community to draw on it's not just something that's like some people's idea of fun <laughs> you know or what extroverts like um or people that don't have family nearby should have some somebody else to 
rely on. I did want to talk a little bit about the gaping wound, gaping, fresh bleeding wound in the uterus during the postpartum time, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it took me five babies to realize that the bleeding that was occurring after the baby was not just my uterus shedding its lining like it is every single month. And I I don't think many women realize this. I think that they think it's just like an extended period. That's yeah. occurring. So that was interesting talk about for that. me to hear that because I yeah it, that never occurred to me that that so um, yeah so you know you have this placenta and I know if you have your baby in the hospital you don't often get to see that placenta mm-hmm. um, if you have a home birth you do we we will show you that placenta but it's like this big you know that's that's a big it's, it's oh I'm sorry okay no I just want I want people to hear what you're saying so sure. it's um like the size of a dinner plate mm-hmm. is how what we describe it as and uh that detaches from your uterus and you know it was that's where the all that blood flow that uh the uh exchange of blood and uh, nutrients and oxygen that blood excuse me between mom and baby happened mm-hmm. um so when that sheds it leaves that big gaping wound there you know about the size yeah. of a dinner plate and so that's going to continue to bleed until all those until your uterus involutes and all those capillaries shut down and mm-hmm. stop bleeding and that takes time yeah. um if you liken it to a skin knee we talked about this yeah. earlier when your little one skins their knee in the afternoon and it's got all that fresh blood on it you clean it up and take care of it and then they go to bed that night and it stops bleeding but then they get up in the morning and start using it again mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you've got fresh blood again it's a very similar thing so a lot of women will notice that um after a couple of days their bleeding slows way down they're feeling better they go mm-hmm. put a lot of laundry in and maybe do some dishes or even go down you know for a walk around the block and all of a sudden oh gosh i'm bleeding again yeah well that's what you did you know you you yeah um yeah so yeah i that's... see women all the time on like nfp groups talk about like I don't understand why I'm bleeding again. My bleeding stopped at two weeks and now it started again. You know, is this a period? Is this, you know, and I mean, like, I can't answer that question for each individual person, but part of me is thinking like, how much have you done? Right. You know, have you been up like moving, <laughs> you know, cause like, if you imagine what you're saying, like you're saying like on your leg, if you had, if you were taking care of somebody who had this giant gaping wound on their leg and they kept getting up and breaking open the wound, you'd be like, oh my gosh, sit down until that thing does not bleed freshly anymore like you'd be really mad at that person but i think because we're so used to having a period we're just like oh it's just bleeding right (laughs) like it's totally normal um and i think like i always assign myself like really arbitrary well they feel arbitrary they feel so arbitrary when you're in them and i'm really glad that i think about them ahead of time because i'm always like um Around two weeks postpartum, I'm going to start getting like this, this second wind. I'm going to feel really good and I'm going to feel like I can get, I can, I can do this meal. I can walk down the stairs and put in the laundry. And I'm, I, I even like write myself a note that's like fight that feeling at two weeks because mm-hmm. you are not healed. Right. Your bleeding will start again. Um, just rest. And so I always have to be like, okay, the two week window, <laughs> like this is when this occurs. And, and even, um, the, the doctor that I ended up seeing for postpartum depression or, or progesterone usage was like, yep, usually around two weeks, we'll see this like increase in postpartum depression. And a lot of times it's just like women are getting back, you know, your husband goes back to work mm-hmm. or has been going back to work and you're getting back into the quote unquote swing of things and you, you're, you're doing it too early, <laughs> you know, right. you're, you're doing too much too early. And then I also have in my mind, like I set two months 
as a mind as an arbitrary. I just picked two months at one point and I was like, I'm not going to care about whether or not I'm using paper plates, whether or not I'm saving the environment, whether or not, you know, like anything is clean. I'm just going to step over mess. I'm going to pretend like clutter is the, the most calming thing in the world. You know, and I don't care that the kids don't have laundry done and I don't care that they're wearing the same shirt that they've been wearing for six days, you know, or I don't know when they've bathed last. I'm just not going to care and I'm not going to schedule anything except for maybe the baptism. Um, And it's just like nothing, nothing. I'm not going to care. And then like there's another level of not caring <laughs> that I have. Like I've got, I've got a lot of levels of not caring, um, like three to five months where you're like, this is when another resurgence of quote unquote postpartum depression occurs. Mm-hmm. And it, it's likely it's when you're doing too much and your baby is changing and the sleep is changing and like, like the, you're getting overstimulated, right? You're like, yes, doing too much. And the doctor said, that's another time that they know he notices women need progesterone supplementation it would be during that time. And then I don't care about my body <laughs> getting back to anything like normal until 10 months postpartum or like feeling like I can handle my life again until 10 months postpartum. Like up until that point, I'm just like, no, we have a new baby in the house. It doesn't mean I don't do things. It just means I don't care that I don't look the way I did or I'm not exercising the way I did or I'm not, you know, um, like I don't want to downplay exercise because that's really, movement's really important. But like the the not caring mm-hmm. <laughs> milestones in my brain right. are there to like to really to protect my sanity you're you know. just changing your expectations it's lisa, not so much that you, you want me to do you mind for you? in the middle of talking i'm so sorry lisa okay. i had her pick up my paper while she was saying something. <laughs> i don't know how you'd get it at this point <laughs> <laughs> i'm really pregnant right now if you're just watching this or listening. Um, i forgot what i was saying now i'm sorry um, no that's okay um it's not so much not caring it's a shift in expectations mm-hmm. and it's the, your expectations are matching the reality that you're living yes. in. Yeah. So, and that's virtue, you know, trying to match your expectations to, to reality. reality. That's mm-hmm. an important piece of this. Cause again, you go into a lot of different expectations or hopes or, you know, right. ways you think it's going to go. But, I also think, yeah. I don't think that social media is helping us mm-hmm. with that postpartum expectation. Mm-hmm. I think that we're seeing, you know, even ads for postpartum stuff, you know, all mm-hmm. the stuff for postpartum, it's all shiny and pretty and clean yeah. and quiet and calm. And that's not matching most of yeah. our realities. Yeah. So, yeah. I was reading about, I was reading about a whole bunch of different cultures as postpartum because when you look into things, um, like every culture develops their own postpartum period for women and they all look really, really similar, which is probably because the body is ordered and expects certain things mm-hmm. and people value, you know, in, in older cultures, people actually valued the family and valued what the woman, you know, brought to the community. Whereas today, like we all need to be equal. And that also means you have to behave like a man after you've had a baby and just get right back out there or whatever. But like in the, in the Chinese culture or this person, person's China's big, but in the Chinese culture, they were saying they don't even allow women, the, the old way of taking care of women. They like, they don't even allow women to read during their 40, their quarantine, whatever their quarantine period is with around 40 days, six weeks or whatever, because the windows are the eye to the soul. And if you read no, something, the eyes of the windows, the eyes of the, the eyes of the windows. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you read something that's disturbing, it can disturb like your 
your mental peace during that time. And it's so funny because I just read this like last month, but I remember last baby, I had a traumatic birth, even though it was my home birth and everything was wonderful and turned out okay. There were things I didn't like. And I remember, you know, nighttime brain sitting there like stewing over and like starting to cry and then being like, no, <laughs> I'm going to tell myself that you're, you're not going to process this birth until you are physically healthy to do it. You're just going to sit and watch as much Jane Austen as you want and like lay around and be fed and think happy thoughts. You're not going to think bad thoughts. You're not going to worry about processing your mental health right now or who's in your house doing what or the sounds you hear from the children. Nope, you're not going to do that. And I, I was surprised to see that a lot of these indigenous postpartum caring packages, you know, that the community would like take care of the woman in her space of healing had a lot to do with that where you would just, you would, you would kind of like keep her in a happy, positive, non-world out there bubble. Right. You know, which certainly doesn't include social media. Right. So, because what, what are most, most yeah. new moms doing when or they're nursing the their baby in the middle of the night is we're scrolling our phones and yeah. getting all the everything yeah. from everywhere. So, yeah. yeah. Do you have some advice around that? Like in terms of what you see from the uh, women that you've worked with? Uh, regarding social media or well, the phones? I guess protecting, because again, there is that sense of like, hopefully that, hopefully women give themselves permission to, you know, to stay physically, to, to rest and that, you know, the community supporting them in that. But then we have this phone mm -hmm. that allows us to try to escape from where we are and maybe, you know, stress ourselves out. In a I will way. say most of the women that I work with recognize that, Good. you know, mm -hmm. they're, they're very conscientious of that and recognize that and, um, you know, it's it's difficult as a as a midwife, and I bring a lot of my own personal experience and whatever to it. Um, you know, I I don't want I got to stay in my lane. You yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. um, but most of our moms do recognize that. Yeah, we were talking about that this morning, and just how uh, you know, in a, even in a small way, uh, we experience that. Like when we have a sick day, or when we're trying to take a good Sabbath, like we both you know wrestle with this of. Okay, so I'm not going to work. I'm not going to physically go do the my work. But then the other direction is to then to just drop my prudence and to like binge on Netflix or whatever. And it's like, no, that's not good rest either. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't come away from that having, you know, having really rested and really recovered. I'm just stressed out in a different way. And so it's, you know, it's like trying to guard that period that then that we're not physically doing stuff, but then we're we're you know, trying to be productive. You're like in a productive not, mindset or not, you're not. Yeah. Cause, cause you get sucked back into that too. Like I need to be productive. So I, I got to sit here and I got to read a bunch of books. You know, it's like, well, you know, don't get sucked into yeah. that end of things too. Like you don't have to be productive. You know, you can kind of rest. Yeah. What was that thing know? you said about leisure when we were talking this morning? It was, we, it was receive this time as a gift from God and from others as true leisure. My Sabbath for the presence for presence to myself and to my baby, like entering into contemplative mode, and resting in beauty, which was kind of what you're talking about when you're like in the middle of the night. Mm. Like, this is what I'm doing. Like, this is my only, I'm just resting in beauty. I'm resting in the fact that this is my only duty. Like, having my body near the babies is mm. like my only duty right now, taking care of me and my baby. And it's leisure, you know, and it, it is hard for us to do leisure. Um, to allow ourselves to do, especially as moms, you know, 
when you're worried about how your household is running and what you'll come back to. Well, you know, when you think about, um, you know, you're pregnant now and we talk about eating well Mm -hmm. and eating something every couple of hours because that's what your body needs. So Mm -hmm. you eat something every couple of hours. And then when the baby's born, that baby nurses every couple of hours. So what are you doing? You're sitting down every couple of hours. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so to have that, that thought that I can get up and be productive or, you know, do the things that I need to do, but it is okay. It is just as productive Mm -hmm. to sit down just like when I sit down to eat every couple of hours because that's what my body needs mm-hmm. that I'm sitting down with my baby every couple of hours or even not with your baby. You know, if the baby doesn't need to eat, but you've been up and you've been doing things yeah. for an hour and a half, it is okay to sit down. It's not lazy. It's not, yeah. you know, that is um, that is rest and that's okay. And we, we need that. Yeah. We had our last midwife appointment at our at my house because it was like the home visit mm-hmm. and it was like the day that I had hurt my pelvis and I just had to sit all day on the couch. <laughs> we have like midwives doing the home visit and you know, like we had a priest coming over for dinner that night and it was just like, I'm going to have to sit on this couch all day. So I hope you guys like lists. <laughs> but, but even yeah. when you're not hurt, you're not injured and I'm yeah. glad your pelvis seems to be feeling better. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but even, you know, there's nothing, no extenuating circumstances, nothing, you know, it is, it's still okay to have that. And as moms, especially we're like, go, go, go. You know, yeah. if the kid does, the kids don't need me for this right now, I'm going to go throw a lo- load of laundry in mm-hmm. or whatever. And sometimes we have to do that. Of course, yeah. people need to eat and we need clean clothes, but, um, it is okay to sit down for 10 minutes. I refuse to yeah. feel like I'm being lazy because I'm putting my feet up for 10 minutes. You know, yeah. because then I can come back to that job with greater focus, you know, greater yeah. presence and, uh, you know, give it justice and not. Yeah. So. We've talked about, you know, the, the, the capital sin of sloth and people when they hear that, they just think laziness. Right. But um, traditionally in the history of the church, they've identified, well, no, it means this, this, this reluctance to face reality. And that may take the form of, of laziness in some people's lives, but for most of us, it takes the form of trying to stay too busy because mm. we feel like that's where we are deriving our sense of our sense of worth, our sense of peace. Whereas, you know, so, mm. sometimes it is an act of obedience to God, you know, to the reality He's sending you to say, you know what, now it is the time to rest and to give up this this productivity, which I can make an idol. You know, it's, it's we all wrestle with that in different ways. Wow, I've never thought of the postpartum period as as a temptation towards sloth, but it really is, you know, because you are, there is this great thing that is expected of you. Your, your reality is that your body and your baby's body are going to do what it they need to do together during this quote unquote fourth trimester, it's very holy thing. you know, and you're learning the baby and the baby's learning you and they're uh, stateside for the first time. <laughs> and like, this is your holy job and the sloth is to run from the bigness of that job into something else that's smaller, you know, Mm -hmm. like my worth is derived from whether or not my children have clean laundry, which is what you do. You do feel that, you know, or whether or not we're still eating off nachos off of paper plates and it's been three months, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, since I've had my baby, you know, and it's just like, you know, when you start seeing that the kids are okay, you've been wearing that shirt for three days, but it, looks fine and you're okay and nachos on paper plates again for dinner we had that last over the weekend but no one has walked past me and i can't smell anyone and no one's got a rash from lack of hygiene like we're doing okay 
This, yeah. You'll live, kid. <laughs> oh my goodness. My normal, not even like a functional medicine doctor, like 80 year old doctor who's close to retirement was like, your copper is so high. We need to send you to a heavy metal specialist. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he knew what to do. But like looking that up, it was just like, oh, yes. That's Obsessive, interesting. compulsive and violent thoughts and scary suicidal. I, had, I never had suicidal thoughts, but I had a lot of those thoughts. You know, I never had, I'm going to kill my baby or myself, which mm-hmm. is what you yeah. only think is postpartum depression. Right. Or weepy or something mm-hmm. like that. I'm plenty weepy during pregnancy. <laughs> especially with the girls I've noticed. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it, it was helpful to look up the symptoms and just be like, Oh my gosh. And then you mentioned other people and they're like, yeah, I thought like the train, like I thought the baby was going to like bounce out of the car in front of the train. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I avoided stairs for a long time because I just was like, I'm, I might throw the baby down the stairs. Yeah. Yes. Not the baby might fall down the stairs. Yeah. It, and it, sometimes it's like, almost what like, what would happen if, if yes, yes it's like the, the craziest. There was, there's like this S curve in Perrysburg on the Maumee River, and I've driven it my entire life. And when I had postpartum depression with three, like when I was having panic attacks, I would like drive on it, and it was 100% going to happen that at some point our van was going to drive into that. Like there was just like it was inevitable. It was going to happen, and I was going to have to somehow save all of my children mm-hmm. from. Like the death trap that a minivan would be falling into the river. Yeah. And now when I drive that, I'm like, Tracy, you'd have to be driving 70 miles an hour <laughs> towards the river. <laughs> yep. I've had those things too. I have. And I, it, yeah. I was really scared. For and like I always, months. and I just, um, I never heard about the copper before. That's very interesting. But it was for, for me, what I kind of, the conclusion I came to was just trying to integrate everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, just trying to yeah. like integrate my, yeah. all of my, surroundings and all the newness and lack of sleep that's why i like those arbitrary things like i i base them off of me me knowing myself because i was like what can i remove from this mental equation i'm so glad you didn't say (laughs) six weeks too because that Mm -hmm. drives me up a wall because then you hit that six week marker Mm -hmm. and you're like okay i need to be normal now i need everything's back to normal and other people expect that of you what has been six weeks since you had it doesn't happen for everybody very few people that's probably why that postpartum depression occurs at three to five months again Mm -hmm. because it's like you're like i should be normal you're like no not even close you know and i joke about it but doing this but you're (laughs) it's you're not gonna be normal again no at all because you know the next thing comes down the bike and you've got another you've got another I mean, yeah. When we want to hold on to how it yeah. was, you know, we or want even to hold something on to like this weight and... gain during pregnancy. Like this pregnancy, I was just like, I knew it. As soon as it started, I was like, I'm just going to gain a ton of weight because of all the scenarios that are going on in our life. I didn't even think about like having pelvic problems and not being able to be active for that reason. But I was just like, and then you're just like, well, but then I'll have the baby and then we'll <laughs> start walking, <laughs> you know, like. It helps you yeah. kind of just like live in a cycle rather than live in this continuous linear progression that you right. have to somehow get back to this golden period. Right. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't look the same as I did when I was 12, when I was 16, when I was 16, yeah. when I was 22. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know oh, my I, goodness. As you said, like, sharing those kind of stories is so important because I think oftentimes even – in really good Catholic media, for instance, like we end up just kind of over spiritualizing the faith and just talking about the stuff in theory. But, and it all sounds great. Like we talked, we had a lot of theology of the body training before we got married and the 
the marriage course and JP2 and it was all sounded great, but that, that doesn't itself, it's good. It's so good, but it doesn't itself prepare you for then actually getting married and actually dealing with issues of sexuality and baby time and postpartum and all the stuff. Mm -hmm. And again, if you've never, if no one's ever talked about it yeah. and your parents didn't talk about it mm -hmm. and your friends don't talk about it, then you're just like, yeah. you you really are, you, like you feel so alone and all that kind of well, stuff. The church can't you know? standardize that stuff. That's not something it can't that be, the church there's can. No, you can't make a course out of that. To, it just right. needs community. Like this yeah. multi-generational yeah. understanding and living and right. living in reality. I, I do that all the time with, um, especially first-time moms or moms having their first natural delivery. Um, you know, I'm not like brutal and trying to scare anybody, but I refuse to call it waves, you know, contractions. Oh. I refuse <laughs> to call it waves. I just, I'm like, no, it's it, it's pain. Yeah. That's the word we use to describe yeah. that kind of thing. So I'm just yeah. going to say it. It's pain. Mm. Well, you know, now with the baby, like daily flipping between like OP and whatever else mm -hmm. you call it, <laughs> you know, like it hurts, you know, like I can tell that the contractions that come are contractions that are not happy with where she is. You know, they're like trying to do something to like prodromal yeah. labor or whatever. We're mm -hmm. just like. She's not in the right position, I can tell. And then my body's like in pain, yeah. <laughs> trying to get her back. But in some that. circles, that's like a, yeah. that word is a no no. And yeah. I'm like, oh, no, but that's like, well, that's the word we use. And yeah. 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 yeah I was thinking another two, thing too is that we, so this idea of sharing stories and having this stuff out there, you'd think that social media would be a big boon to that. And probably it may be helpful in some ways. But it also exposes you to lots of people who are either really disconnected from reality. You know, it's all pie in the sky, very theoretical, very mm -hmm. idealized. Or the other extreme of very despairing and complaining and 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 who've really had bad experiences and they're processing them, but they're processing them publicly. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and maybe it's not the person who's maybe looking back after they've sort of healed. It's somebody mm -hmm. who's still struggling with it. And so it doesn't necessarily, just by having all the voices there, it doesn't itself replace yeah. the community the, the helping people work right. that we're going to go through in the next episode that came from people like it was just very clear that that people were not taken care of the way they ought to have been taken care of i mean really that's what i was thinking it was coming down to was just like you know you need to talk about the NICU stay you need to talk about what if things don't go the way you want which is true they they may not like this may not go the way i want it to you know or like you need to talk about all the things that can go wrong with breastfeeding and all the things. And you're just like, I'm looking at so many wounded people who are not taking care of the way they should have been taken care of. And I mean, like, I really think that that is the key is that we should know what our body expects and we should hope and plan for giving the body what it needs, mm -hmm. you know, and that and and working on. I, I mean, like you're just walking around with wounds, you know. Um, or fears or triggers or, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. And desperately saying, like, if enough people said that they simply couldn't nurse their baby, which is, I mean, which happens, you mm -hmm. know, but like if enough people say it and enough people like don't just expect you to breastfeed, then I'll be better. But that's not the reality. Right. <laughs> the reality mm -hmm. is like you may have not received good care and you may still not be receiving good care and you may actually be rejecting good care at this moment. You know, because there is this like horrific wound that you didn't, you know, you know what I mean? Like, right, right. And so it's like, I'm just looking at all these like comments and questions and I'm like, oh my God, we're all so wounded. 
And there's nothing wrong with being prepared for that. You know, you need to have the the number of the hospital if you're planning a home birth. You need to have the lactation consultant, the number, like the dentist, like you said, you know, to have those resources available or know where to get those resources. Um, But that doesn't. And it's hard, too, when somebody has a bad experience. You know, misery loves company. And it doesn't mean that's everybody's experience, though. And we should be working to make those experiences better. And by sharing truthfully like this and, um, you know, that that does help. Yeah. Yeah, We we were talking recently about the difference between, like, what's the difference between complaining, which we all fall into that sometimes, when we're just, we're sort of processing out loud, but we don't want input. You know, like we just turned like misery invites, you know, <laughs> versus like, sh- like I, I actually want to share this with you. And I do want input. And I do want like, like there, there's a, there's a, there's a line there because one wants to just sort of sit with the misery and not be healed from it. And the mm-hmm. other is sort of open to healing. And it's, and that's the thing that sometimes happens in social media where it, it always stays on the level of sort of this continual, just sort of like leaning into this wound but not in a way that's open to healing. Mm-hmm. And it's like in the context of friendships and relationships and family, like mm-hmm. that's where you, we, you can open it up, but also invite, you know, prayer and healing and stuff. And that, that needs to happen. Um, but it doesn't always happen. It seems like yeah. Yeah. I mean, we probably should wrap it up, but I mean, any other thoughts or advice or anything particular that you want to make sure that you get shared with the people who are listening or watching? Not in particular. Oh. No, this was great. Yeah. Well, this was you. good stuff. We're going to make this a two-part episode, so if you're watching, um, we've had Lisa on this hour, Lisa Baldwin, my midwife, mom of 16, and um, we're we're talking mainly about elevating the postpartum period, and then we've got an episode that we're going to do about like how we as a couple do postpartum and prepare for postpartum and like a lot of our practicals and things like that, so good. That's exciting. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. It was great. It was great. I could talk about this all day. Me too. (laughs) As you can tell. Thanks for your good work as a mom and as a midwife. Again, this is, as we talked about, like this is, this is the pinnacle of of society. This is what society is for. It's for family. It's for new life. And so, you know, the ways that, the small ways that we begin to normalize that, you know, bring that back into, into people's consciousness, into our our routines and mores and manners that that's, this is something sacred and awesome and holy and you need to everybody get together to make this happen. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of elevate ordinary. Again, if you want more information about the show, check out the archives and stuff, go to elevateordinary.com. And uh, there's also information about how to support the show there. You can download the awaken app where you can get episodes of this show and other great shows from Awakened Catholic, as well as all kinds of other cool stuff. Dang, I just saw that preview of the app there, uh, <laughs> and I hadn't seen that before. It looks like I need to open the app and check it out. It looks like it's been updated. We open the cool app stuff. every day and interact but, on but not it. Not this no. day. I haven't done it yet. So. I'm sorry. I'm not good with my phone. So check it out. It'll be cool. <laughs> again, thank you for joining us for this episode of Elevate Ordinary. God bless you. Talk to you again next week.